be seated. Please keep your Bible open at the Ecclesiastes passage that we have read, which can be found on page 661 in your church Bibles. There is also an outline of the talk, uh, which can be found in the middle of your bulletin. Let us start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, if you are not at work, then all the things we do are vanities. The songs that we sing, the words that we read, the confessions that we confess, all of it will be empty if you do not work. So Father, we pray that through your Spirit in us, that you will bring this message directly to us, that you will convict us, that you will make us more like Christ as we sit and listen to your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is a trend now for people to have a bucket list. A bucket list is a list of things that people want to experience and try out before they kick the bucket and die. Mostly, bucket list contains a list of wonderful places to visit or special and famous foods. Sometimes it has particularly challenging experiences like climbing a famous mountain or hang gliding. It's all about experiencing certain things that gives pleasure and joy and not wanting to miss out on those things before dying. Now, don't get me wrong, these can be good things that gives much joy, excitement and happiness. But if we consider that this is a list of things to do before you die and death is inevitable, then of what value are these things? Do they give meaning to our lives? Does it give meaningful satisfaction to our human hearts? This is exactly the question that is explored in this passage today. We see in the beginning of this passage that Solomon realizes that human life is one of unhappiness because there is an underlying problem, the problem of sin. Sin has brought mankind out from the perfect joy of paradise and into a life of suffering in a world under the curse of sin. And all along, death slowly catches up and frustrates any effort to find meaning in life. So in light of this, we can understand why Solomon keeps on saying, vanities of vanities, all is vanities. Then we look at chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, and we see Solomon showing us that in his wisdom, he has searched for the elusive meaning of life under the sun. Now, I know of a man who is a successful doctor in aesthetic surgery. By the age of 30, he had it all. Money, expensive cars, good looks, respect, all the things that we associate with the good life. Yet sadly, he got terminal cancer. Cancer was inoperable and he passed away in his late 30s. When we hear this, we feel that it is such a sad thing, such a shame. But the fact is, when we apply wisdom, we see 
that death is the final destination for each and every one of us. The rich and successful man dies just like the poor and unsuccessful man. All human beings are under the curse of death, toil, suffering, and tears. Now, I'm not saying that there's no difference between being well-off and poor. After all, it's more comfortable to sit in a BMW to cry rather than in a kanchil. But BMW or kanchil, we all suffer. The more wisdom you have, the harder it is to fool yourself with the good things and not see the truth of our ultimate circumstances. In chapter 1, verse 18, with much wisdom comes more vexation. The wiser you are, the more it is revealed how meaningless human existence really is. With this in mind then, King Solomon decides that he will experiment. He will test his heart with pleasure. He wants to take all the things that gives pleasure and partake of it and measure it in order to determine one thing. Does great pleasure outweigh the truth that wisdom keeps on revealing to him? Can pleasure be a means of gaining meaning in life and satisfaction? Now, I suspect we can all see how pleasure is something that we think of as satisfying. A good meal, a walk in the park, time with family and friends. Now, these are good things, but what Solomon is talking about is not just doing these things occasionally for joy. The question Solomon is asking is this. If I devote myself to pleasure, if I chase after pleasure with all my heart, Will I be satisfied in the end? Does pleasure have the capacity to take away the sting of death? That, my friends, is a question worth asking. We then come to chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. And here, we see that Solomon is determined to test his heart with pleasure. And he starts off with wine. Now, we might immediately think that this doesn't apply to us if we're not alcoholic, but... There are actually two categories of people who look to pleasure in drink. Those who are indiscriminate and drink to get drunk. And then there's another category. These are people who look to find wine as a means of satisfaction. There could be people who appreciate especially good wine that was bottled in a good year or comes from a special region. They may collect expensive liquor and wines and they may spend a small fortune to obtain and taste rare bottles. In fact, we can extend this to other things as well that pleases the palate. Fine food, for example. There are people who chase after food that has been rated with Michelin stars. There are people who will not hesitate to drive hours down to Malacca or up to Ipoh to get the best dim sum or the best chicken rice. And again, while these things are not wrong by themselves, we can become so engrossed with satisfying our palates through wine and food that we might have our entire lives oriented towards chasing pleasure. And this then becomes the focus of our lives. And deep inside, the reason we do that is because we think the answer 
to the meaningless of meaninglessness of life is pleasure. We think that pleasure can take away the sting of death. Solomon, however, tells us that pleasure is meaningless because ultimately it does not satisfy. Now Solomon doesn't stop with that. He plants vineyards, houses, gardens, parks, pools, and even forests for his joy and satisfaction. He is fulfilling a different desire, namely that of having comfort, security, and peace in the hope that that will give pleasure. And we can imagine in that same way, people that we know who gather properties, maybe a nice big bungalow, perhaps next to a country club and a golf course. See, and this comfort and assurance may not even be limited to just buying property. It could even be in having this comfort and assurance in a big retirement plan that's waiting for you. So people often look for peace and comfort through material things so that in the security of these things, there is a sense of satisfaction. Does this security and peace then take away the sting of death? Vanities of vanity. All is vanity. Solomon also speaks here about getting slaves or servants. Now the thinking behind that is something our culture can understand. If we have all these nice things, then having maids and servants means there is more time and energy for us to spend in appreciating and enjoying these nice things. You see, the hope that drives us then is if we can more fully devote ourselves to pleasure, then perhaps we can find meaning and satisfaction that can overwhelm even the sting of death. And Solomon, having experienced all of this then, gives us his wisdom. Pleasure is ultimately meaningless in light of death. Even nice things that we feel would give us comfort, security, pleasure, meaning and joy, all these things still fails us in light of death. Vanities of vanities, all are vanity. And in a more controversial point, verse 8, we see Solomon gathering concubines to find sexual pleasure, reveling in their youth and beauty. And we do see this in our culture as well, don't we? We see people having affair with younger, more beautiful people. Or people who feel that they aren't complete unless they're pursuing a lifestyle that's defined by casual sex. And we see the same judgment. Sex and the pleasure it brings still does not relieve the sting of death. True wisdom reveals to us that as much as we feed our hearts with pleasure, it will never satisfy. And yet, our natural inclination is to keep on trying to satisfy ourselves through pleasure. Now, having seen that pleasure can only mask the problem, Solomon then turns instead to wisdom to test and see if wisdom can lead to satisfaction. Sometimes we may feel that the real way to find meaning is to be the person in the know, to know the truth behind things, to be the one with the right connection and knowledge that gives us a real understanding of the situation of the world. Maybe there are people you know whose life is all about being experts in politics, finance, health. 
You don't need to ask them, they will tell you. Solomon looks and sees that there is more gain in being wise than in being a fool. A wise man knows what is happening around him. He can read the current of politics and economy. He knows when the property bubble will burst, when is the best time to invest, and he has connection in high places. His knowledge means there's less uncertainty in the world for him, and so he walks in the light. While the ordinary person who isn't aware of what happens in the corridors of power, they are ill-prepared for things and are walking in darkness. Now, with this kind of connection and power, the wise ones can truly build a legacy. They can be the person who builds up great reputation. They can be the great helper who bring other people out of difficulties. They will have their names known by others. Think of people like Warren Buffett. The moment he releases a book on how to invest, it will fly off the shelves. Anyone with a smidgen of interest in investing will buy it, read it, in the hope of making it big themselves. And they would praise his wisdom. They would applaud him. Isn't then wisdom something that might soften and remove this thing of death? Surely, having a legacy to be remembered by family, friends, and many random strangers is a great thing. Solomon considers this and immediately gives the answer in verse 14. The person who knows all things and the one who doesn't, both will finally suffer the same fate. Death is the great equalizer. How the wise dies, no different than the fool. Solomon sees this and shares this with us in verse 16. Both the wise and the fool will still one day be forgotten as time passes. Yes, people remember great legacies, but what meaning is there in that? As Andrew asked last week, who here actually remembers the great-grandparent beyond a hazy memory? The great names in history? They're just names. Nobody knows them as a person anymore. That is the only thing a legacy can grant. Your name in a book with an acknowledgement. The fool gets the same thing too on his gravestone. Seeing that truth, Solomon feels the despair because all that we do ultimately is meaningless. Neither pleasure nor wisdom can mitigate the meaningless to life that death brings about. Pleasures fade away. Legacies are empty. Next, Solomon looks at the third thing besides pleasure or wisdom. He considers toil, hard work as a solution to the problem. The Chinese billionaire Jack Ma argues that people should work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. And that system is a blessing because they bring productivity and rejuvenate the economy. And we often hear this mindset, work hard, get up that career ladder, be someone that is respected by society. There may be some of us here who sees their job as the primary goal in their life. Or at least we know someone who thinks that way. They will give up on all other things in order to focus on success. But see how verse 23 captures this. Verse 23, 
for all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Does this then satisfy us? Deep inside, we know the answer already, don't we? Solomon then shares his wisdom, and we see in verse 26 that God is pleased to frustrate our efforts and give to those who pleases his will. Just like the man in the gospel passage today, who after having worked hard and made many gains, said to his soul, eat, drink, and be merry. And what happens? Before he has a chance to enjoy what he had, that very day his life is taken from him. Solomon realizes that even toiling is vanity because we can't bring anything with us to the grave. Not your money, not your possessions, not your titles. One day, you will die. You won't know when, and when you do, all you can do is leave behind all these things to be enjoyed by another. So where does that leave us? Is our life then merely meaningless and we can just look to pleasure, wisdom and toil as something to while away our time while death catches up to us? Then we die, having meant nothing to the world. This is the only hope that the worldly man under the sun can hope for. But... To those who know the gospel, we see a different picture. We see Christ who took on flesh to redeem mankind from sin. He redeems us from death through his death on the cross. This redemption then is offered to all who comes to him in faith. We see God redeeming mankind and this has implications. Let's see what it means. Firstly, where the world says, come and enjoy pleasure, the gospel teaches us to suffer. Jesus said, if we would be his disciples, we are to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow after him. This seems to fly in the face of wisdom. Suffering is something that we want to naturally avoid. But take a moment to see this suffering in light of the gospel. Then we realize that in light of the resurrection and the salvation that God has given, then this suffering for the sake of the gospel is not meaningless. Life then isn't merely vanity. Suffering for the gospel gives meaning to life because the sting of death has already been removed by Christ. And this suffering has eternal implications and it brings glory forever. Secondly, where the world teaches us to come and be wise, the gospel teaches us to be foolish. First Corinthians tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. God has chosen to use the foolish things to shame the wise. And we are called to be foolish in the eyes of the world and bring this message to the world. 
even if the world considers the message and you to be foolish. So you see, the one willing to be considered foolish for the sake of the gospel is the one who does the truly meaningful thing that lasts for all eternity. Thirdly, where the world says, toil and work hard, Jesus instead says, come to me, all you who are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. You see, the burden that we carry in order to bring meaning to our lives is one we cannot fulfill because of sin. Jesus, however, has already lifted that burden for whoever comes to him in faith. There is no need, therefore, to suffer and toil for life to have meaning. If we trust in Jesus, if we seek to follow him, that already gives our lives meaning. As his servants, as his brothers and sisters, as inheritors of the kingdom of God. You see, this is what his resurrection points us towards. So as we rest in Christ, we have more meaning and joy for all eternity than if we had spent our whole life toiling to make sense of an empty life. In summary then, though the world teaches us to seek pleasure, wisdom, and work hard, it is only the gospel that can ultimately give us meaning. It is in the suffering for the gospel, preaching the foolishness of the gospel, and to rest in the finished work of Christ. It is only in this can we find true meaning in life. So therefore, seek the things of the world in moderation, but give up your whole life for the gospel. And if you feel that the message today is too challenging because it's asking you to trust the gospel and not worldly wisdom, because it's asking you to give up these things for the sake of the gospel, then I'll share a secret with you. If you think about it, in the light of this eternal life that comes with Christ, we don't actually miss out on anything that we give up for the gospel. We have all eternity to catch up and enjoy these things anyway. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have revealed to us that life under the sun is vanity, is meaningless. And Father, we thank you for the good things that you give us, that we can enjoy, that we can take and give our thanks to you. But Father, help us to see where true meaning lies, and move our hearts to be there, not in the worldly things, but to seek to serve you. Help us, Father, to be people who look to the gospel, who's willing to suffer for the gospel, who's willing to be foolish for the gospel, and who's willing to trust in the completed work of your Son and find rest in you. Give us meaning in our lives, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.